I'm J.R. Todd, and this is The Skinny. Hey, I'm Ron Caps, and this is The Skinny. From Fathead Studios in Speedway, Indiana, this is The Skinny. And what you don't see is Carl in the background giggling and laughing, telling us it's time to start the show once again. Rico Elmore and Ken Stout, welcome to The Skinny. And we've got a couple of big guys that are going to join us here today. NHRA superstars, both of them are champions. Ron Caps is going to join us from California, the 2016 Funny Car Champ and the 2018 Funny Car Champ sitting in the studio. J.R. Todd, welcome, gentlemen. Hey, man. Thanks for having us. Great to have you as well, for sure. And, uh, of course, Caps, you've been doing this thing forever and ever and ever, man. Second winningest driver in Funny Car. That is quite an accomplishment. And as we kick off this uh, this sketchy 2020 season, it's your 26th year in the business. Did you ever imagine being in the business this long? No. Uh, you know, I was a crew member, and I was pretty much going to be okay being a crew member even – you know, uh, even though I had aspirations to drive growing up, racing go-karts and riding motorcycles my whole life. But it was just that one moment where somebody had uh, some faith in me and took me under their wing and let me get a license in their alcohol dragster. And much like JR, we kind of took the same path. And the cool thing for me is I can I can say I've done this for 20-something years and I've never had to bring a sponsor or cash to a ride, which is rare in motorsports period, but especially rare in drag racing. And uh, to get that phone call for Don Perdome, you know, uh, that, that first time to go drive for him was one of those moments you'd never forget. And it just kind of set my path and my career. And um, here I am 20 something years later, still doing it. That's it. Caps is dead to me. He's never had to chase a sponsor once. I don't even know who that guy is. <laughs> no, I chased him. <laughs> Believe me, I chased him. I just never had to bring money for a seat. <laughs> so second winningest. We know who the winningest is. So what, Caps, if yeah. you run until you're about 90 years old, do you think you'll get <laughs> I mean, we're going to get him? Or? Never happen. Nobody will ever pass John Force. And that's, hey, I'm okay with it. To be second to that guy and what he's done throughout, you know, really for the sport. I mean, he's kind of become a guy that uh, I was just at the grocery store this morning and some lady, you know, she looked over at me and saw my racing stuff on. First thing she asked about was John Forrest and she didn't follow it except maybe saw the reality show and then watched drag racing because of, of his daughters. But, you know, he has been drag racing for a long time. And uh, so, yeah, nobody's ever going to catch that guy. He's he has set a record that uh, is astronomical and as far as wins. And J.R. Todd, you're actually following right in suit. I mean, he's had an incredible career. And, you know, going along with that long career as well, 16 years with John with Don Schumacher is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Anytime you can stay with a team that long. And we were just talking with Scott Dixon. I think he's been with Canassi for 19 years. But that uh, that relationship is so difficult to pull off. I mean, it's difficult to make it, you know, but to pull off a relationship like that is is really phenomenal. Yeah, Ron talking, you know, that it, none of us are ever going to catch John Forrest. Well, at the rate that Caps is going, he's not that old, and he's still kicking everybody's butt. It's going to be hard for some of us to even catch, you know, the number two guy, which is him. And uh, he's, it's funny. I feel like he kind of gets aggravated or upset. Like, you bring up stats that he's been doing it forever because, uh, like I say, he's not that old. It's just that he wins a lot, and you know, every year. So he's definitely set the bar high for us younger guys than him to uh, to try and catch him. He's definitely a... One of my heroes and a guy that I, I set out to uh, to be like, and we all know that we're not going to get 200 wins or what, you know, 
John Forrest was just, he's in a different category, and I don't want to race to him 70-something years old either. Well, well, you might change your mind on that one. <laughs> Some of these young guns, yeah, you're a little ahead of yourself right there. You might be happy to still be doing it for sure. But uh, and, and you look at John Forrest, I didn't, I didn't mean to get off on the John Forrest tangent, but uh, how do you not talk about the guy when you're talking about NHRA? And I agree with you 100%, Ron. Um, but when you take a look at him, here we are, 2020. He's top five on the points again. And Brittany is already running career best, number, not career best, best ever numbers. So, I mean, it's not like that team has even thought about laying down. No, not at all. I mean, they, uh, they got a heck of a brain trust over there between all their teams. And they work really well together. And it seems like every year, you know, Ron and myself and the rest of us were kind of uh, chasing Robert Height and Jimmy Prock and those guys. And that, uh, that information, you know, it spills over to Forrest's car. And uh, you, you got a guy that's been around as long as he has. And uh, that's a combination that equals uh, success and wins. And like I said, he's still, still getting the job done at his age. I'd love to get both of your thoughts on on the the head games that he plays at the starting line. I mean, to me, and other forms of racing, which is what my career's pretty much been made up of, it's it's games all the time. I mean, it's no different than somebody putting a bumper on you, driving you a little bit wide in a turn, maybe slamming the door on you. And he rolls in in the world of drag racing. He's like, game on, guys. I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can do to try to beat you. But I don't remember it being, I don't remember him doing it so much earlier in his career. He certainly plays those games now, and he does it really well. Yeah, Ron's competed against him more than I have, so he could definitely uh, tell you how far back he's been doing it. But uh, I've definitely gotten a little taste of it, and it's not fun to be on the uh, opposing end of those games. You just you have to know ahead of time that uh, there's a chance he's going to do something. Just prepare yourself for it because it's bound to happen. Is it all, all fair in love and war, Ron? Yeah, you know, I, I've had I've had quite a few times. Forrest has been probably overall one of my better friends. You know, he quit drinking and quit all that stuff after his bad wreck, but we've had a lot of good times, and he kind of took me under his wing when I was a rookie in Top Fuel, and then when I went to Funny Car, I went there with Don Perdome to beat John Forrest. That was the reason Don Perdome got that whole program together with the Copenhagen car. So back then, yeah, he still did it. But everybody did it back then. My rookie year and probably my first four or five years, man, I was rolling in, shutting top. I used to go in and try to flicker the top light off, which is not easy to do, and try to distract people and get them to red light. And that was the kind of games that was going on back then. But then it was guys like Al Hoffman and Chuck Etchells. And it was a different time of the racing where there's lots of times, even with John Forrest, where he messed with me the star line. I've gotten out and gone almost to blows with him and pushing and we had to be separated several times down there because he might have done it to me in qualifying where I don't think it's it should be done it should be our cars out there trying to get our best run not somebody playing head games and qualifying and trying to hang you out so there's been times where uh you know not that it wasn't pc but you got out of the car and I was ready to throw down and you know it's just like a dirt race you you get somebody on a caution there's a few laps left and you know you're running the pace laps and somebody comes up and gives the gas and just kind of goes up and shows you they're there, you know, somebody to intimidate you. And it's that same type of thing. I just think Forrest doesn't have the confidence sometimes in himself that he can cut a good light and he thinks he needs to roll it in as we all do at different times uh, to make our, our reaction times look better. But I think he would be just fine if he didn't, but it's gotten to, to be a sort of uh, his badge of honor. And he messed with JR last year and he got to him. He's done it to me in my career a lot and he's gotten to me in in my career 
uh, when I was younger. So, you know, you just, you got to be ready for it. And it sounds easy. And JR knew it going in there when he messed with him last year. And you're ready for it. And you're like, I'm going to stamp this old man. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> it catches you. And you're like, how did I let that happen? Right. Like, you know, it's like you got Tony Stewart on the two laps to go on a caution. He shows you a wheel and you're like, oh, man. You know, I got smoke next to me. What's what's he going to And you're more worried about the opponent than you are anything else. I remember back in the day, and it was a really big deal, when you guys would hang each other out, the clutch would get a little too hot, and they'd go one-to-one the second you hit the throttle, and you knew you were going to knock them out of the race right off the bat. And, and boy, people were pissed at the other end. They were ready to throw down. I'd say that's still the case. And, like, going back to what uh, Ron said, in qualifying, someone does that to you. I mean, there's no rule that says that you can't do that. I mean, we know that you got – seven seconds to stage after the first guy does but seven seconds that seems like an hour even if a guy takes three or four seconds like that's too long man like what were you doing over there so if it happens in qualifying you may let somebody know but my opinion is like i don't want to go show them that that pissed me off i'm just going to return the favor maybe not the next time i run them but down the road like when i put it in park next to them like they might remember why i did that you know like that's kind of how i look at like i remember joey saldana telling me that you know, a guy might flip him out of the park one night. And he's not going to go get in his face or whatever. But when that guy flips out of the park six months down the road, he'll remember what he did, you know, to Joey a long time ago. So I kind of, like, tell myself that in drag racing. Just think about it before you go say something, if you're going to say something. Just put that in your memory bank and use it when you can. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny what Ron was saying about uh, Stewart, you know, showing a wheel. Well, remember him talking about Cruzman at the Chili Bowl for Tony, for Tony's first Chili Bowl win, he was talking about how he goes, I know that I was holding you up because we had Cruzman on remote. And uh, Cruzman's like, listen, I couldn't get to you, you know. And Tony said he kept getting, you know, showing him and showing him. And he's like, he's like, he's not getting by me. But, oh, you know, he it's, said Cruzman was too nice. He said, you're too nice. If it was the other way around, he said, I'd have put a bumper on you. So <laughs> it's a Chili Bowl. I mean, you got to go. Why know? not, man? <laughs> Speaking of Chili Bowl, Ron, you've ran the Chili Bowl, right? Yeah. And speaking of fighting, <laughs> I'll never forget. <laughs> the first year I ran it as a, as a regular midget, it was on a team. Listen to the guys on this team. It was Dan Lasowski. It was Tony Stewart's team. But it was Dan Lasowski, myself, Kenny Schrader, and Josh Weiss. And all the cars, if you remember, they're all orange and painted the same. Um, and, you know, that was cool to walk in that building and see my name on a midget with Kenny Schrader and, and Josh Weiss at the time was this new kid coming out of California. And, uh, and of course, Dan Lasoski, I'll never forget the crew guys that he had working on my car. Uh, they, they nicknamed me Cooter and they put it on the car instead of my name. They said, <laughs> you get out there and don't let anybody mess with you. And if they do, you pull in the pits and leave your helmet on and we'll take care of it. <laughs> and so I've always remembered that. <laughs> Rules of dirt car racing. <laughs> We were running sprint cars with my son for a couple of years, and we had the two mechanics that that were on the car um, were big farm boys, man. And we never used a jack stand. They would just grab the front bumper and pick the front pick the front of the car up, look at me, and I would roll the stands underneath the car, you know. So <laughs> they were the same way. It's like if anybody wants to throw down, just make sure you get back here to the pits, and it'll all be just fine. <laughs> That's one thing I learned from my dad racing uh, dirt track motorcycles. I was always small, and I'm still small. I say, like, hey, man, if you ever get into it with a guy, like you're going to get into a fight, keep your helmet on. Do not take your helmet off because, you know, at least protect yourself. So I, that's one thing I always try to do, like 
go up to Caps, keep my helmet on. <laughs> you know, all this stuff has happened over the course of your careers. You know, certainly, Ron, you've been around long enough. I mean, it, the fisticuffs things, I, I think, was a little more prominent back in the day than it is now. But uh, when, when you take a look at what happened to Torrance at the end of last year, boy, it's really, I mean, they really crucified him over that thing. And I'm not saying he was in a good place to do that, you know, and he's certainly apologized for it since that time. But man, oh man, the fans really got pissed off about that whole scenario. Yeah, well, you got to remember, and JR can attest to this, what our fans fail to get, what really motorsports fans fail to remember is cup guys, they go around, you get the checkered flag, you've got two or three minutes to go around, do your burnout. By that time, you've kind of thought about what you want to say in your interview, you've relaxed a little bit. IndyCar, same thing, right? You win a race, you go around the pace lap, and you got time before you go to winner's circle. We make a run, 3.8-second run at 330 miles per hour. Who knows what's going on in the cockpit, especially a funny car. You're trying to manhandle this thing to the finish line, hoping you can get it between the cone and the wall of the finish line. Pull the chute, and within another 30 seconds, you're around the corner, and you're getting out of this thing, and they've got Fox television cameras on you the minute you get out. So we don't have a lot of time. You, you talk about these you know, fisticuffs and things in the past where I've gotten out, you don't have time to sometimes sit back and think, well, maybe I should think about this and go look at the replay. Maybe he didn't hold me up. Uh, and, and there's so many times I've gone and apologized to people later because I get out and I'm, I'm emotional when I'm going down the track and somebody held me up. I'm telling you, and Jay, I'll probably say the same thing. You're at half track and you're thinking, I can't wait to get out and knock this guy out. Like you're so upset <laughs> and you're, that's all you're thinking about. But not just that happening. I mean, we literally come around a corner, you pop out of the roof hatch and there are the cameras and somebody asking you your thoughts to what just happened where you've gone six G's and then negative nine G's when the shoots come out. So all that emotions, you're tied into this thing, you're strapped in, this adrenaline's ready to pop out of the top of your head and you don't have time to compose yourself. So I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. I think not enough credit's given to us in drag racing to where we don't get out and just start throwing blows sometimes or throwing up or, you know, or going after somebody or, or not saying the right thing. Um, so it, it, it's tough. It's not as easy as it looks. I agree because after that happened in Pomona with Torrance, you know, like I'm getting texts from, you know, my buddies, Kyle Larson, a lot of my dirt track friends are like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? You make a run down the track, you get out, you're mad at each other, ready to fight. Well, there's a lot that happens, like the TV show doesn't cover. Like, they might not analyze what happened on the start line, why this guy might be mad. They didn't go, you know, interview Torrance right away to see why he was mad. Just like, like Ron said, there's a lot that goes on, I'd say, in that whole five-minute time from the time the car starts up till you get out at the end of the track. And usually if, if they know you're mad, they're coming over to interview right away, camera in your face. And you don't really have time to even process what just happened on the run, let alone think about what you're going to say and – Nine times out of ten, you know, the, the wrong stuff comes out of your mouth or you might slap somebody. You, would, you definitely would have thought that they would have learned from Stuart that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that you, definitely, you definitely don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to get a, get a hot mic on somebody a little too quick. When uh, I always loved it. Matt Yoakum would walk up and ask him something. He's like, he's like well, why the hell do you think I'm mad? Right. <laughs> Common like, sense, man. Like <laughs> yeah, Matt's big and he's Stewart's friend, so he could have got away with it, right? <laughs> yeah. Has JR got a guest with him now? Is oh, that... where'd that guy come from? Oh. I promise I didn't bring oh. this with me, Ron. 
I am not that guy. We had to give him one. I mean, Ron's got 64 of them sitting behind him. Yeah, but I don't have I don't have that one, that indie one. That is the only racetrack that I've never won at. Wow. And I won there on Saturdays and I've done it on Sunday when they had the big bud shootout, but I've never won the big race on Monday. So appreciate you teasing me. I have a I have a March Mate trophy. By the yeah, way. those are really hard yeah. to come by and rare to uh, come by, and it's pretty awesome trophy. So, congrats on that! First African American to win in fuel, first African American to win in funny car, and uh, both of you guys, one of seventeen drivers to win in both categories. Some really some some big credentials for both of you guys, and well earned, of course. You know, just talking about winning the U.S. Nationals, uh, man, oh man, that's that's a big deal. And you talk to the anybody in drag racing. And that rivals a championship. To win the U.S. Nationals rivals a championship. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what guy you ask. If uh, they haven't won Indy or they haven't won a championship, but at the time when you know I won Indy, like yeah, this was the biggest uh, biggest thing I'd ever accomplished. But I don't know if I would give up winning a championship either. I mean, that's something uh, you would have to ask Ron. But yeah, I'd say. I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of the legends say like their career is not complete unless you've got one or the other, and maybe both. You know, so I'm very fortunate and lucky to have a uh, the one Indy twice and and a championship. But you know, you always want more. And coming out of the junior dragster ranks, I mean, you are the true poster child of starting off at 10 years old, staying in there, running the course of time to 17 years old, coming out of it, getting your 890 uh, class license, then going to Frank Holly School. Thank you. Uh, you also were in an alcohol car for a little bit, and then up to the big ranks. I mean, you ran the whole gamut of what you're supposed to do. Yeah, there's definitely a, a few of us that you know took the road of the junior dragster path, what it was designed to do, to uh, hopefully get you to the professional level someday. But it's really hard, just like any sport. Like I compare it to a kid playing little league baseball or pee wee football that makes it to uh, the the major leagues or the NFL. You know, it's uh, it's a really tough road. And uh, I'm lucky that I met the right people along the way. And my parents sacrificed a lot for me when I was a kid to take me racing across the country to, uh, to meet certain people and and uh, and what have you. And just, you know, really worked at it even when I wasn't driving, became a crew guy just to show other teams out there that knew that I'd driven in the past. Like, hey, this is what I want to do. And at the time, I really didn't like being a crew member. But looking back at it, it I feel like it's made me a better driver because I understand how the cars work and what goes into them just gives you a lot more respect for uh, those guys, you know, spending those long hours preparing that thing for you to go out there and tear it up in 3.8 seconds. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, a few of us, like I said, are living proof that kids out there racing today that you can take the path that we did if this is what you want to do, but it's going to take some work and you got to stick with it for sure. God bless, God bless Benny Knapp. Yeah, man, that, that's where it all started for sure. I mean, it's a, uh, it's pretty crazy to think, you know, a little five horse Briggs and Stratton with a pull starter, basically something you could take off your lawnmower and put on this little, uh, almost go-kart chassis that's extended into a, a drag. So that's what it started out as. And we hauled mine to, uh, Edgewater sports park outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, in the back of my dad's truck for my very first race. I think it went 14 or 15 seconds at like 40 miles an hour. And I thought I was hauling ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. And you've had wonderful family support all, all along the way. Yeah, absolutely, man. My mom and dad, they've been there from day one and, uh, they still, uh, go to majority of my races today. And when they're not at the track, you know, people are worried something's wrong. Hey, uh, how are your parents? Where are they at? Like, man, they, they still got jobs back at home. They got to, uh, go, go tend to. So yeah, they have a lot of fun and, 
it's nice having that kind of support. And, uh, you know, from day one, my dad's told me, hey, I'm 100% behind you in this stuff. But if you ever want to quit, I'm 110% behind you. So it's nice to uh, not have that pressure from, uh, you know, my dad, my mom and dad uh, to make this happen. They, uh, they were always there no matter what I wanted to do in life. Caps, you've done some other stuff. You've actually been in a lot of different race cars uh, all along the way. Of course, everybody knows you for Funny Car and uh, that great relationship you've had with Napa for so many years now as well. But uh, we were j- kind of joking at the start of the show, a Screen Actors Guild. You've been uh, you've been involved with that. You were a racquetball player, which I was not aware of, to the point that you're in the open division back in the day. But what I like best as we were talking about fist- fisticuffs a little bit earlier is uh, you were a freestyle and Greco-Roman wrestler, so I'm thinking you and Gary Dincham. I know Gary's a little bit older now, but but he used to throw down as a wrestler as well, man. There, there could be a good little sidebar going on here. Gary's got legs like an oak tree. That's a big dude. He was actually a power lifter, believe it or not. But uh, yeah, I think wrestling for me, growing up, you know, through high school and the Greco and freestyle, it taught you a lot about life. It was one of the best sports I could have ever competed in, and uh, yeah. So then teaching racquetball, I did that through college. That's, that was my job working at health clubs in the Bay area, three of them. And then I played tournaments for money on weekends. So, um, but my aspirations are always to, to race. And I was going off on weekends and helping Blaine and Alan Johnson uh, prior to Blaine getting killed. And so I've known those guys a long time and it just, it sort of worked out, but yeah, I always had the passion growing up go-karting and all that, that I wanted to drive. And back then it was Indy cars, you know, or, or sprint cars. Um, growing up in, in San Luis Obispo and Santa Maria, there was a great, racetrack there in Santa Maria that's still there and uh and so going to watch the sprint cars and the dirt cars was it so fast forward to getting the drive for snake and then getting these offers to go dirt racing was a dream and so another you know another unique thing about me and JR uh we both love racing dirt I I really enjoy watching when he jumped into Christopher Bell's car um I got to go test with IROC before that folded uh at Talladega in Chicagoland which was cool had a blast doing that so, yeah, I've been real lucky to go do stuff that I love to do because of where I'm at in the drag race world and, and who I've driven for. So that that part is, you know, I love doing that. So, Jr., give us a play by play in Christopher Bell's car. I think I know it, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was nervous as hell to hop in that thing. You know, it's uh, Keith Coons prepared midget and it's Christopher Bell's car like this is a. Uh, Wednesday or Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday before the BC39, which I thought maybe we'd drag out a couple spare cars for us to go out there and mess around. And it was going to be uh, Doug Coletta, uh, Eric Jones, and myself. But nope, you guys are driving these cars, and Christopher's going to help you. Like each driver had a, you know, I think uh, Logan CB and Tucker Classmar were the other guys helping. So getting that thing, and they're like, yeah, just, you know, make a couple laps around till you get the hang of it, then, you know, do whatever. Get out there and idle around for a couple of laps, and as soon as they say go, like pedal to the floor. That's what uh, <laughs> Larson and Christopher told me. Like, hey man, don't mess around on this thing. Like, get after it. Like, okay. So, like two or three laps, like I'm on the fence. Like, dirt's flying everywhere. I'm like, oh shit, I need to back it down a little bit. <laughs> Come back in. Keith's like, hey man, don't do that anymore. Like, <laughs> 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 I'm like, well, I really didn't mean to do that, Keith, but it made for a cool picture that I got hanging in my trophy room that they autographed. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. And to back up like what Ron was saying, I, I wish that I was a little older, my career got started a little, you know, further back so I could do possibly do the things that he's done, like I rock and prelude to the dream and just different 
you know, outside of drag racing, not that I would give up my day job, but I love the opportunity now to be able to go and drive things like Christopher Bell's car or a wing sprint car, just anything that, that I think can help me become a better drag racer because I think all those things really do help. Okay, Caps, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You can't drive for the snake and not give us a good story, at least one or two good snake stories. I mean, talk about legendary status. That guy, that cat is something else. And to have him behind the scenes and inside the trailer with you for years had to be remarkable. What was always the best was sitting around at the end of the day when the racing was over and having legends in our hospitality area, having a beer and just listening to these stories that I might have read about or heard about and hearing it from the same people that might be hanging out there. Probably the, the first one that comes to my mind that I can remember was the first uh, snake just had hired me and we went to SEMA show and I was getting ready to drive the next year for him. And uh, we ran into Mario Andretti, who was probably my biggest idol growing up. And uh, next thing I know, we're going to this Italian restaurant that everybody would go to right near the SEMA event. And it was legendary. And we walk in there and, and of course the owner comes out and he's got tears in his eye when he meets Mario and they kiss each other on the cheek. We sit at the owner's table. Um, we're heading back to the hotel afterwards, and I'm, I'm having these pinch me moments like, God, I'm hanging out with Don Perdome. Then I remember I'm driving for the guy now who's one of my idols, and we're, we're out to dinner with Mario Andretti. And I'll never forget, we're in the cab on our way back, and the guy driving was this old Italian guy. And I could tell Snake knew he was a big time Italian guy. And, and I just re- remember the guy didn't realize it was Mario Andretti sitting in the back and I was sitting up front and uh, I just remember a snake telling the guy, Hey man, you know, he's talking about your driving. And he says, man, you, you drive like Mario Andretti. The guy goes on and on. Oh my God, Mario Andretti is my favorite. And he does this whole thing. And then when we stopped, the guy tells him Mario's in the back of the car and the guy got out and got on his hands and knees and just started crying in front of Mario Andretti. So Moments like that were, for me, just, you know, I'll never forget being able to be around these legends. But driving for Don Perdome turned me on to a lot of those moments. And uh, fortunately, I've got a lot of stories. Unfortunately, I can't tell most of the stories. Carol Shelby ride to the airport with Snake after leaving Gainesville one time. I'll never forget that. If you ever met Carol Shelby, you know what kind of guy that was. And uh, that was probably eight minutes of the most F-bombs and S-bombs I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> of them telling stories of the old days. And, you know, now that he's passed and being able to spend that time with him and Snake, uh, another one of those moments. My God, I mean, I had goosebumps telling me that, that story about Mario Andretti. That's just in, incredible stuff. Yeah. Talk, to me about, talk to me about how passionate and how competitive Snake was. When you're in the trailer, you're in the middle of the dogfight on a Sunday afternoon. Give me, give me a feel. Uh, it's all he's ever known to do. And, and I was told he's calmed down. I was told by AJ. I was told by Mario. I was told by Connie Coletta. All these guys said, man, it's a good thing you're driving for Snake now and not 10 years ago. Because he is as intense as you would think. Um, he just feels like he's scratching for everything like he was his, in 1963 when he first got his first job driving or first chance to drive. And it's all he's ever known. He was a car painter. And he doesn't have, like a lot of these other owners, a big business at home uh, where they run during the week, you know, like a Penske or Don Schumacher. And these guys have all this this other stuff going on. This is all he's ever known. So it's everything to him. And I mean, the the smallest little thing, I learned how to dress. I learned how to pack clothes for trips, how to the minimal amount of things to pack. I learned how 
when you're sponsored by a beer company at your dinner, when you finish that bottle of beer and it was Miller Lite back then, you don't let them take the bottles away. You leave them on the table. If somebody walks by, you want them to see that you've been drinking Miller Lite. And just little things I never would have thought of as a kid, you know, growing up. And when you got these big sponsors and boy, he notices everything. He wants his scooters in front of the pit area lined up the way Roger Penske's scooters are lined up when you walk into his area at an IndyCar race. And just things that you, you I have over the years kind of taken and put into my brain. And uh, my wife laughs at me all the time. I'll do a, she calls it a snakeism. I'll say something or do something or a mannerism I do will be something that she saw a snake do. And, and it's just, it's instilled in me. And, you know, you couldn't ask for a better person that, that hated to lose and uh, was there in the beginning. And a guy that I played with his Hot Wheels, as we all did growing up, um, you know, to have somebody like that to emulate and be around, uh, it definitely was something that, uh, that made my career what it is today. He was talking about the uh, talking about the beer bottles. My wife seems to get pissed when I leave them all over the table like that. But <laughs> try to get her over that deal. It's our sponsor deal, but uh, but no, I mean it, you know. So well, I so always, shouldn't I, do with Bartles and James. I'm talking yes. beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's bottles of bourbon. Actually, she's wondering why there's three. But anyhow. Uh, you know, I always laugh because Snake would be up on the line and JR was running. Um, I think you were running at Lucas at the time. And, you know, Snake would always say some of the craziest, like he always still does. I mean, he, he's definitely a shock factor guy, right? And he says, uh, he says, have you ever seen JR Todd and Lewis Hamilton at the same place? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no. Like I'm, I, like, I'm completely baffled in where he's headed with this, right? Well, I can see it right now. He They're is, one and the same, man. You never see him in the same place. Like, and he's going on and on and on and on about, well, the last time I saw him was, you know, at, uh, you know, at our late great friend Bill, Bill Simpson's suite. And uh, I think I shared this with JR, but... You know, Bill always had, you know, Bill always had a, a good-looking blonde on his arm to the to the bitter end, literally to the bitter end. And, uh, you know, Snake and and, uh, and Bill, of course, growing up together as kids, you know, Snake would be down there. He knew every button to push with Simpson. And, I mean, he mashed all of them with his feet, with his hands. His, I mean, he was going, he was driving him crazy. And I'm sitting down there watching it. And I said to Snake, I said, I said, hey, Snake, I'm going back down to our suite. I said, uh, I said, stop by on your way out. He goes, I'll be down there in an hour or two. I'm like, oh, okay. So Bill's got one of his girls in there, and Snake's asking Bill. He says, he says, uh, Bill, how does she do it? And he says, he says, what, what are you talking about, Snake? You know, he's irritated because Snake's firing him up again. And he says, how does she do it? He goes, he goes, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes. How does she keep it all in? Is it with Spanx or what does she wear? <laughs> Simpson lost his day. She threw him out of the suite. So Perdome comes down to our suite like about 15 minutes later. I go, what are you doing? I thought you weren't leaving for a couple hours. He goes, yeah, Bill threw me out. <laughs> and proceeded to tell the story. So, But yeah, he's, he's one of a kind, which, you know, that's, you know, you got people like him, you got people like Connie, you know, and. And some of these legends that were around forever, and and you know that's we always talk about the, um, you know we always talk about the health of motorsports. You know uh, it, it, when we're on here, and you know as we said, you know every one of them needs each other. 
you know, NASCAR needs IndyCar, IndyCar needs, you know, the NHRA. I mean, if you're a race fan, yeah, there's different factions of it, but at the end of the day, a lot of people are just race fans, you know, and, and I love the NHRA. I mean, listen, if, if, if people have never went, uh, if you watch it on TV, you can fancy it somewhat like hockey, you know, it's, it's, it's cool on TV, but it's nothing like being there. Exactly. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, the NHRA, they've, uh, you know, they've got some, they, the, the management there has some things in front of them. They need to get straightened out because it's about bringing a younger fan out there. It's about bringing a younger person out there that gets it, that's like, man, this is remarkable. And I think a lot of that feeds back into having trades in the high school and people getting interested in auto shop and, you know, the things that used to drive that, that, that sport. So, and I hope they do because it's, it's a badass sport, man. There ain't nothing like it. Thanks for watching this episode of the skinny. Be sure to check out all the latest sun and optical eyewear at fatheads.com. Special thanks to our sponsorship partners at Elliott's custom trailers and carts. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Skinny. To watch the video versions of all of our shows, please visit our YouTube channel, Fatheads TV. This has been a production of Fathead Studios. Please remember to subscribe. <laughs>